Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The main street of Childers is unusually busy for a Monday. But the locals have turned out in numbers, men, women, school groups and senior citizens. On this day, they've got the eyes of the nation on them as the Olympic torch relay passes through town. But that was nothing compared to what they were about to encounter just a few days later. And that's what we'll leave you tonight, certainly on a day that will go down in Queensland's history for all the wrong reasons. Good night. The media were back in town, their cameras shifting from the smiles and pride on show to tears and sadness in just a matter of days. It was awful. And, and, and that level of grief, I just think, um, it was a heavy burden. And, and, and it, came, it came over Childers like a cloud. And it was heavy to walk around. It was all anyone thought about. The life of that town changed completely um, and for the international community to be to be you know bearing down on this place too only added to that that sense the town needed a lift it came in the form of a royal visit well we just we just had notification from Canberra to say that Princess Anne was coming up to Childers she wanted to come up to Childers and um, she was absolutely marvellous. It was another major event hastily pulled together by Nancy Calder. We closed the street off again and we invited people who were directly involved in it, the service groups and all those, and we had them in the cultural centre and the rest of the people or out on the closed highway. In Australia on royal duties as part of the Olympic torch relay program, the princess had her schedule changed to drop into Childers. And what an occasion it was. Here's an excerpt from Kim Scubris' story from Channel 7's news bulletin that evening. This was Princess Anne making a grand entrance late this morning. ISIS Shire Mayor Bill Trevor gave his first royal greeting to the British princess. Before she was briefed about the fire tragedy, a met excited onlookers who lined the main street in their thousands. I think that it will um, really lift the spirits of the town. Well, I must have liked her. I wouldn't have been here. <laughs> She's very nice, thinner than I thought. I think it's a very good thing. It shows that she cares for, for her own subjects. That was the interesting thing because there had been so much heartache and they really wanted to roll out the carpet because they were so desperate for something, you know, that would take their minds off all the sadness. 
at the time I always thought of Princess Anne as a bit stiff and starchy. I didn't realise what effect her visit would have on, on the British kids and also on the Dutch, you know, many of who were just about to leave and when, when it was announced she was coming, they decided to stay and, and meet with her. And the uplift that her visit gave to those uh, young European backpackers was unbelievable. I remember uh, we met with her in the library prior and she wanted to take a walk down the street and have a look at uh, the palace that was burned out. And I found her quite witty and charming, really, not, not as uh, stiff and starchy as, as I had thought. And uh, there was probably 4,000 plus people who turned up to line the street to meet with her. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, quite interesting to see how she lifted the spirits of the community. She was just so at ease and just so willing just to walk straight through wherever she wanted to walk. But I think it was a sense that there was that much security around that we didn't really have to go through too many hoops to, to look after her. What was it she said about the monarchy? Ah, uh, look, just walking down the street, uh, she stopped and she turned to me and she said, Mr Mayor, it's indeed a uh, very warm welcome here today as the little girls were coming out with their posies. And I said, Your Royal Highness, uh, in the referendum, the town would have voted 80 or 90% to retain the monarchy. And, and she turned to me and said, then I'm indeed amongst friends. <laughs> there she was visiting the town and she was quite uh, humble. She wasn't doing uh, any sort of royal tour. She genuinely was representing the queen and she showed her human side. Certainly a big moment for the town and the British journos like Frank Thorne. I mean, she's a fairly ordinary kind of woman who's had experience of life and been involved in Olympic horse riding and various things, meeting the general public in her sporting life. So uh, she was uh, a top lady and she toured the site, which was truly shocking because all that was left was, you know, charred wooden posts of this 98-year-old wooden hostel and a, and a few concrete uh, walls and nothing much else but uh, porcelain wash basins hanging off the wall and, and nothing of the rooms left. So she saw all that. Then she went to meet the survivors, the firefighters, community leaders and townspeople at a reception that, that lasted an awful long time at the local ISIS community centre. So that actually did the whole town, which was a community of farmers who felt this tragedy very personally as well. And she buoyed everybody's spirits, including the survivors. She was handed a bouquet of flowers to lay on a temporary memorial site by British survivors Joanna Griffin and James Whitehurst. What do you, what do you recall about your meeting with her? It was dignified. It was, um, we understood what the protocol she'd broken, if you like, at the time, which was always big for a royal, and in that you know, broke off from her her itinerary as part of her the Olympic stuff she was doing. So that was well received and appreciated. When it was actually going to meet her directly, I was like, oh, okay, would you mind handing the flowers? Uh, okay. <laughs> I walked with her down the street to lay flowers down there. 
and she spoke to me quite a lot. She said, how many of the surviving backpackers have you still got here? And I said, oh, most of them are here, apart from the five Japanese that went back. And I think a couple of Canadians went back a bit early too. And um, she said, well, why wouldn't they stay here? Look how well you're feeding them, (laughs) which I thought was a funny thing to say. But anyway, we walked down the street together and she chatted to people along the way and stopped and shook hands and she was very, very good. She was only supposed to be here for 45 minutes and she was here for about almost two and three quarter hours just talking to people. I know she came in and met everybody, all the other backpackers after that and sort of, you know, met them one by one. So she didn't have to, she did. You know, you want to appreciate the people taking the time to do even the smallest thing, uh, um, you know, irrelevant of their position, place in the world. It was uh, appreciative. Following a street procession and site visit, the princess worked the room back at the community centre, meeting with survivors, emergency service workers and a handful of local volunteers. It was the first royal visit to the region in more than 25 years. And the novelty of the occasion certainly wasn't lost on anyone who was there. How the, the Pommy backpackers in particular reacted to, you know, a royal being in Childers and so forth. And they couldn't wait to go over near the car that bought the, you know, because on the front it had the little royal standard and, you know, they're making sure they're getting their photos taken. Mick Gray was filming it for Channel 7. You were with me with Princess Anne, I think, too, yeah. where we've decided there was a water tower. <laughs> we get a good shot from this water tower. And uh, we climbed it, and her her mind has decided to yell at us, telling us to come down. I think we sort of said, can't hear you, mate. What are you saying? No, sorry, <laughs> we're going to stay up here. Well, as for Kim Scubris, she recorded this piece to camera. There's no doubt this was always going to be a right royal welcome, considering 70% of the population are staunch monarchists. Walking down the street, about a metre from the princess herself. We were told that obviously, um, you know, we weren't allowed to cross the barriers and whatnot. But, you know, we're Aussie reporters. We're not used to dealing with royalty. And we were respectful. We were standing there and I had the camera operator with me and Princess Anne went, walked past and she's talking to this little girl next to me who had a posy of flowers for her. And she looked up. And uh, she said, uh, oh, thank you so much for the flowers. And then she's looked me straight in the eye and she said, uh, this is quite amazing. And I said, ma'am, it is, and this is an incredible community. And I said, um, how are you feeling? And she said, it is quite amazing. And that's what she kept saying. Although not everyone was throwing around the word amazing. She broke protocol by, she walked in front of Princess Anne giving her spiel to the camera and um, she was politely told, you don't do that. And she said, well, this is my town and uh, I'm an Aussie chick, that's what we do. So um, they weren't swooning at royalty and uh, worried about putting their arms around Princess Anne. Well, before I knew it, I had every snapper photographer and uh, British press asking me what I'd talked to her about. Little did I know as an Aussie journo that I wasn't actually meant to talk to her. 
And I only answered her question. I didn't ask her a question. I answered her question. Then I asked her a question. The British tabloids had a bit of fun with it. And uh, they had a cartoon of a kangaroo with a microphone saying that uh, Princess Anne had had a good chat with one of the one of the media. <laughs> so that was uh, yeah, that was my claim to fame, yeah. having a chat to Princess Anne. But uh, anyway, as I said, I certainly didn't mean any disrespect. But she asked me the question first, Paul. <laughs> it was that kind of scene that uh, it was very informal, and she was showing her humanitarian side which uh, helped everybody and all the backpackers got up on stage to meet her and it was just uh, very moving. Media weren't the only attendees flirting with the rules around royal protocol. This story is probably better told by Rob Jansen himself. It was quite funny because she was introduced to us and I was standing uh, with some other Dutch people and she, she started to talk about the soccer championship that was going on. And I remember that she was wearing something orange and I just tapped her on the shoulder like, oh, you must be supporting Holland because you wear something, you wear something orange. And I touched her on the shoulder and she looked at me, it's like, what are you doing? And I, of course, I didn't realize that you, you're not allowed to touch royalty. But uh, she, we made some jokes about it and then she moved on to, to the other people. <laughs> and. Uh, I remember that I came back outside and then a journalist asked me, what did you do with Princess Anne? Nothing. So you touched her. I said, did I? Because I already forgot. And I said, yeah, you tapped her on the shoulder. I said, so? And then he said, you can't touch royalty. I said, she's not my royalty. We have our own queen. So so we just have a laugh about it. But uh, yeah. I think the journalist was quite seriously, but, but uh, yeah, I, I think Princess Anne was, uh, she was okay. Yeah. She, 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 she survived. <laughs> I always remember one very cheeky backpacker, Princess Anne went in and signed a, a register to say that she had attended. And um, straight away, one of the other backpackers got in there and just signed her name straight, straight underneath Princess Anne. Poor old Nancy Calder, who was looking after the, uh, the book at the time, she almost freaked out, you know, so she couldn't get the book out there quick enough because I think it would have opened a torrent. There would have been signatures all around Princess Anne's signatures. So. Oh, look, I didn't go into it very much. It happened. The kids were doing all sorts of things, sitting down in front of a car, the Rolls-Royce which was parked out the front and all taking photographs of themselves in front of the number plate and all this sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, we weren't, we weren't real happy about the kid going and signing his name underneath, but anyway, it's nothing you can do. It's done. It's gone. It's finished. <laughs> you can't get her back and say, here, sign another page. <laughs> For the most part, though, it was a seamless operation on rather short notice. Local police sergeant Jeff Fay rolled out his fleet of uniformed cops. So that turned into a major operation, you know. You just don't, she just doesn't waltz into town and everything happens, you know. It's a major operation with security and, and closing roads and closing sections and, you know, right of access and that sort of thing, you know. And after a week of investigating a major crime and hunting the region for a man on the run, It was the circuit break of the town well and truly needed. Spirits were lifted, smiles returned, and the backpackers had a very public diversion in front of them. 
It might have been a long way removed from normality, but at that point in time, it was their reality, no matter how strange the circumstances. They were the light-hearted moments and events which everyone just needed to break free of the intensity and enormity that was really difficult to escape. Because your brain just can't deal with quite so much sadness, I think it finds hilarity in an awful situation. There was one story Jessica Vegan recalls quite fondly in the days after the fire, navigating her way around her friend's pretty thick Kiwi accent. <laughs> A real great incident that sticks in my mind is Tia, who's from New Zealand, told me, she said, oh, 200 priests are coming. And I remember looking, 200? She said, yeah. I said, what for? And she said, oh, well, you know, they're just coming to Childers. Um, I was like, wow. And then I just accepted it, you know, that these that there are going to be 200 priests coming to Childers. And I hadn't, you know, it, it just kind of sat there as like a, you know, everything was so bizarre and so strange that that wasn't outside the realm of possibility. It was a good couple of days later when it suddenly clicked in my head that she said, priests? <laughs> Press? There's 200 press in children's. I remember just sitting there and and just sort of looking at her and not being able to stop laughing, sort of just giggling my way through at this because in my head had been this like contingent of priests in their robes and their crucifixes and things like marching onto childers. You know, and it was just, I think that's kind of a real, just a sense of how bizarre things were that that was just something that was totally possible in my brain as a, you know... <laughs> Um, but no, there were there were not 200 priests in Childers. <laughs> 200 priests? There were some happy times through there, you know. It wasn't all tears every day. The strength of the relationship that was built with some of the survivors and, and the families, uh, the strength that was built within our own community by those people that galvanised themselves to help, to put in place. You know, there was hundreds and hundreds of meals served over those first few weeks uh, as, as uh, the recovery went on and afterwards in supporting the fireys, the police, the backpacker survivors, their families that arrived, the politicians, the consuls, the, the, the bishops, all those people that came in support roles and I was extremely proud of the way my community reacted to that. I don't think anyone could have done a better job than, than what my community did at that time. And they took everyone in as their own. Backpackers, police investigators, even us media types, you know, the, the ones who made up those 200 press Tia was referring to, even if we mightn't have been as saintly as Jess presumed. I think what was amazing with Childers was the locals welcomed some of us with open arms, the ones of us who did show respect and kindness and thoughtfulness the community rallied around us. I mean, I arrived with nothing more than my go-to bag, which had always had a toothbrush in it, but not much else and my passport. And I remember having to go to, I think it was a Silly Solly's discount store to buy some underwear. And <laughs> all they had was Tweety Bird underwear. So I go to the big press conference the next day and already Bill Trevor had heard from one of the cameramen that Scoobs is wearing Tweety Bird underwear. And straight away he teased me about it. And that's the sort of rapport out of this tragedy, over those weeks, we shared laughs. The fact that despite all the darkness of the Childers' fire story, 
there are moments which can be remembered with a fond smile 20 years on speaks volumes about how this entire saga unfolded. For me, it's captured perfectly in a photo that was taken in the community centre a few days after the fire. It's the entire group of survivors together as one. More than 60 people. In this particular moment, frozen in time, they're nearly all smiling. There's hugs. You can see the care for each other right there on the page. Some are holding cigarettes. Others, like Kate Morris, are even holding beers. What do you see when you look at that photo? Ah, I've got goosebumps. I see so much love and so much support and, um, yeah, just so grateful that um, we're all together. Yeah, I mean, that photo sort of symbolises that friendship, really, and that um, no matter what happens in your life, that, that part will always be such a big part of our life. We'd obviously all become very, very close-knit very quickly uh, with you know, swapping details and stuff. I know which photo you're on about. I've got a copy myself. It's strange. I think when that photo was taken, I think a lot of us were happy that we were there. You were happy that, you know, that some of your friends were there. There was things to be thankful for as well. And you can see people who, who were not thinking that, but... You know, everyone in that room was fighting their own issues, their own battles. I mean, the the people on that photo we keep in touch with, and people who I do keep in touch with as well, I don't keep in touch with everyone, but I keep in touch with quite a lot of them. And seeing them over the years and seeing the families grow, it's just, I don't know, it's a nice photo, and I like the photo. You know, like, something really, really terrible happened to us all that night, but... Nothing will ever take away that bond that we have and I'm able to look back now with a bit of a smile on my face because of all the good things that happened after it. We had such community support and friendships that still are thriving now as they were then. Yeah, it's hard not to have a bit of a smile when you, you know, I went through all my paperwork and photos and my folder the other day and it's... There's some really beautiful things that came out of such a shitty experience. A common bond that's stayed connected for two decades. Who can say they've found that on their travels? I mean, I've backpacked abroad. I could probably name three or four people I met along the way. Never mind 60 who I could call a brother or sister for life. In an event of so much evil and sadness, it's nice to know there was at least some long-term good that came of it. I'd like to thank everyone who gave their stories and voice to this episode, especially the Seven Network for access to some of the archive material from that historic visit by Princess Anne. This podcast was written and produced by me, Paul Cochran, edited, composed and sound designed by Zoltan Fecho. Thanks to Bundaberg Regional Council, who continue to maintain the memorial to the victims in Childers. If you can, try and pop in to pay your respects. It is well worth a visit. If you can, do me a favour. Tell at least one family member and friend about the podcast today. It's the best way to ensure the stories of these brave young men and women continue to be heard. Thanks for tuning in. It is much appreciated.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.